think we had a similar goal in mind in terms of just our own uh, fitness at our age compared to the past, right? Absolutely. We're fighting the battle against Father Time. Trying to kick his ass. <laughs> trying to c- continuously kick Father Time's ass. That is the... I, I think that's the goal every... That's our goal every day of our lives at this point. I think once you hit 45, the goal in life should be to wake up every day and say, I want to kick Father Time's ass. But you know what, Ted? That is a very tough goal, right? I was going to say, it's not easy. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the Beyond Talent podcast. I'm your host, Andy Lai, and I am joined by my co-host, Ted Ramos. Ted is a good friend of mine who started out as my triathlon coach back in the day in Chicago, roughly 10 years ago. And we are endurance athletes. Uh, We're just a couple of middle-aged men looking to ward off father time. And we love training and discussing our training and experience. And with Ted's coaching experience and our racing experience, we have a lot that we want to bring to you. So Beyond Talent is born out of a philosophy that Ted and I share regarding what it takes to achieve goals in the world of endurance and ultimately our everyday lives. We're going to explore the training, the technology, and the real-world data points on how outcomes are achieved. There are no quick fixes. There are no hacks to achieving endurance goals the right way. So let's jump right in. Ted, how's it going today? I'm out here in Seattle. Uh, It's rainy and cloudy as always um, in the winter, but I've already saw your Strava this morning, and, and I see that you've already got in eight miles. So out on the lakefront in Chicago. How are things out there? Things are great out here in Chicago, Andy. It's uh, cold as usual, but nice and sunny. So things things uh, aren't too bad. Good, good. Uh, you have no excuses. I've got rain, but that's not an excuse because I'm going to get my running <laughs> later. <laughs> uh, look, I'm excited to finally kick this off. Uh, we've been talking yeah, about been, this Yeah, it's for been a something while. we've been talking about for, or sorry to interrupt you, but I was going to say no, like, no. it's been something that we've been trying to get going for over a year now, isn't it? Like Absolutely. we talked about this at least a year ago, maybe, maybe even longer. I, I think so. And um, I mean, with the pandemic and everything, obviously, you know, just life was just kind of weird. And uh, there was a lot of times where I think we probably thought of, we had a lot of conversations and we thought about like, you know, we, we should just get this uh, onto a podcast and, and share our insights and our experience. So here we are, man. Yep. So now we're living the dream. Here we are. Getting it all started. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, we should probably tell the audience who we are a little bit, you know, just a little bit of our experience. I've already mentioned we're a couple of middle-aged men looking to ward off father time. So if that doesn't explain everything, I don't know what is. But <laughs> from, a, from an endurance sports standpoint, uh, it really started for me about 10 years ago. Me and some friends, uh, we started getting into training for a triathlon. And I think the ultimate goal was to ultimate, it was to do an Ironman down the road. And I was just along for the ride at the time. I, I had just started running. I wanted to get back into getting into shape um, outside of the, some of the other uh, sports I was doing. I was primarily just playing tennis and uh, competing uh, you know, way too much in that and uh, pretty much burnt out on that. And so I, I 
I met up with some new new friends and uh, we had some similar passions in terms of just being active uh, and, and uh, pushing our bodies. And uh, we, we had that like-mindedness and we started training. And long story short, we signed up at WellFit back then and we met you. And we, we it was a cycling class. It was an indoor CompuTrainer class and that's how we met you. And, uh, and, and that was part of our cycling uh, training for the triathlon. Um, and we did our running and stuff outside of that, but that's, that's how it all began. And, uh, that led to many more races, half Ironmans. We finally did do an Ironman back in 2013. Um, and then, you know, we just kind of kept going, um, more after that, continued to do races, even though, uh, me and my friends kind of moved, moved away. We all moved out of Chicago, uh, within, within a year or two after, uh, the Ironman, but we did get together for additional, uh, races and, uh, you know, fast forward to now, um, I, last year was a, was an interesting year that I think we were going to, we're going to both talk about for both me and you, but, uh, that's kind of a summary of my history there. A lot of, uh, I'd say probably six or seven half Ironmans, a, a, a one Ironman, you know, same thing around those numbers for half marathons. I've done two, two marathons prior to last this past year. Um, and the third one was this past December with you, Ted, which I think we're going to get into. So that's, that's a little bit about me. Yep. Time flies. Hi, Andy. Can't believe it's over a decade since we last met or when we first met. (laughs) Yeah, we were, we were in our thirties back then and now we're, uh, mid forties. Pretty crazy. Yep. But still handsome, older yet handsome. Absolutely. Better with age, yep. better with age, indeed. Let's start. Let's let's find out more about you in terms of how you got into uh, endurance sports, triathlons, and then how that evolved into your coaching career. Give give the folks a little bit more about you before we kind of kick off into our twenty twenty two comeback year. Yeah, so I started competing in endurance sports back in nineteen ninety nine. I did the Xterra torn shirt off-road triathlon. So the off-road triathlon. Wait, wait. Yeah. Torn shirt? Torn shirt? Uh, yes. Yeah. So it's, it's an off-road triathlon. That's That was the name of it, the torn shirt triathlon. Because you're on these rugged trails <laughs> and there's like thorns and everything and bushes. And if you go off the trail, you're going to get <laughs> your shirt torn up. <clears throat> That's I never knew that. So they started the Xterra races started out with the with the name of torn shirt that's all well no that was the name of this specific race the torn shirt <laughs> gotcha. Triathlon. this is the one in michigan but okay. there was, right, was cool. xterra races all over the country and they all had their own individual names but xterra was the name of the, the series and the off-road triathlons are swimming mountain biking and then trail running so you just travel to the venues all over the country and you you just compete on whatever off-road terrain is available and you race on that, that terrain. So it's a bit of, it's a bit of an adventure in addition to just being your standard triathlon. But, um, when I did that race, it was my first experience doing anything off-road. Like, like you, I kind of came from like, uh, sports that we played in high school. Like I used to play baseball, football, basketball, things like that. And I never really had any experience in endurance sports. So Needless to say, in my first race, I finished close to last, 
And despite that, I still loved it. It's just like, oh man, this is addicting. I love, I love doing this. So back in that day, I focused mostly on off-road sports. So I did off-road triathlon, I did mountain biking, and I did cyclocross. Over the years, I started getting better at it, and I'd start moving up top half of the field, top third of the field, and getting a little bit better every year and starting to learn the craft of racing. But um, I could even get to the level where I was like almost winning my age group. I'd be like on the podium sometimes, be in a top 10 in a race. Um, so I was good, but I wasn't great. Like I was like, okay, how do I get to the next level? And my ultimate goal and, was and how many? Out. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And, and how many years uh, from that first one, I believe you said 1999 till like, say your first time you got on the podium for one of your races? It's a good question. And I can't quite remember, but I would say I started feeling like I was getting better probably around 2003 or so. Okay. Like I, think I would be somewhat competitive in these races by 2003, 2004. So it's a multi-year process to go from complete beginner to being competitive. But even though I was competitive, yeah, even though I was competitive, I still was not at the level that I wanted to be. So, like, my ultimate goal was to qualify for the Xterra World Championships. And in order to do that, you have to be among the best in the country, in your age group, at just a few select races throughout the country. So there's only a few qualifier races, and you got to do really well at those races in order to qualify. <clears throat> and how many people... Uh... You know how do like you said there's you have to there's only so many races you 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 have to qualify for the world championships how many people qualify for the world championships is it by age group i would assume you know there's a certain number by age group you know how many well, like what's the field look like yes yeah, so there's probably only a handful of races where you could qualify for the world championships there's maybe five to eight races in the country and each of those races you had to basically get on a podium in order to qualify and get your invitation to the world championships out in Maui. So it's a pretty small, it's just a handful of people and every region has the best people competing at that race because it's a qualifier and it's not easy to get, it's not easy to break through that, that ceiling. Yeah. So in order to qualify, I needed to learn how to integrate swimming, cycling and running training into more of a cohesive plan and get better at training. Back in those days, there wasn't a lot of information out there about how to train, especially for endurance sports. So um, <clears throat> I had to figure out how can I take my coach, how can I take my athletic training to a higher level so I can get to that qualifying status. So I got into coaching because I figured that would be the only way to learn how to train properly. So <clears throat> somehow, I don't know how I found out about it, but I found out about a coaching seminar that was put on by USAT. And they're going to train people how to be coaches. So I was like, all right, sign me up. And it was out in San Francisco. So I booked a flight out there and uh, took a few days off of work and went to the seminar. It's taught by experienced, knowledgeable coaches who've done this for other athletes. They've done it for professional level teams. They've done it for professional level athletes. And at the seminar, they're sharing their knowledge with you. So there's no better way to learn than to learning from people who are experienced and being able to be there in person and ask them questions and throw ideas off of them and see if your ideas are any good or not.
So you got your certification. Um, and then what? Yeah. So once I got that certification, I was like, one of the things they taught me was that coaching could be a career. And I never thought of it like that, but I was like, okay, that's interesting. Like I just thought of it as a way to like work out with your athletes and, um, maybe make a few bucks on the side to pay for all the race transportation and stuff like that, hotels and entry fees. But, um, it got me starting to think about coaching as a career path. So after that, after that initial clinic, I didn't really know where to go with this because it, it wasn't really a big market back then. This was maybe in 2005. Mm. And, <clears throat> and the first thing I did was apply to be a swim coach at the local YMCA. And then I started coaching some of the athletes that were triathletes on the swim team. So that was my start in actually integrating my coaching knowledge and sharing it with other people. My big break in coaching came when I applied to be on the local triathlon team called the Well-Fit Elite Team. After talking with the coach of that team, Sharon Aharon, he found out that I was a coach and he was like, come and join me at this organization. We want, we need coaches. And, uh, I think you'll be, uh, an asset to our community. So since then I've coached thousands of athletes from all levels of ability from beginners to Ironman, um, high level athletes and everything in between. And I've coached people in group settings, one-on-one I've coached people virtually and done online classes, all kinds of different things that have expanded my ability as a coach. And so when did you say this started back in about 20, 2008, right? In, in terms of your coaching uh, or getting into more full-time coaching? Yep. I believe it was 2008, maybe 2009. While you're coaching, are you also competing as well? You know, you know, coming up with a race schedule during the year, as well as understanding, you know, the, the race schedules of your athletes and, and just kind of finding time to also compete or train as well as coach or how did that work for you? Yeah. So back then when I started working for WellFit, I was still a pretty serious athlete. I wasn't a full-time coach yet. So coaching was still a thing that I did on the side and I still hadn't qualified for the Xterra world championship yet. So that was my main goal when I joined that elite team is to learn from those athletes, how to be elite and how to, how to get better. So the first year I just got my ass kicked the whole year by all these spectacular athletes. And after that year, it kind of like shaped me to become tougher, become more robust. And the following season, I had a spectacular season and I got to that level of all those people that were at the high level when I joined the team. And is that when you qualified for the Xterra World Championships? Yep. So that was the year that I qualified. And I think that was probably in 2010, if I recall, 2009 or 2010. And so in qualifying, you did a regional race and you obviously had to make the podium. And uh, mm-hmm. did you win that race or were you second, third? How'd that go? I think I finished third overall and I won my age group. So I qualified quite easily. Wow. You finished third overall. In the amateurs. Right. But then uh, you won your age group. So you're, were you in your 30s at the time or? or uh... Yeah, I was 34. Okay. Yeah, we're about the same age. And uh, so what, 2000, 2010, <laughs> doing the math here. Um, so that's pretty good. So you won the age group third overall, though. 
Um, mm-hmm. So you beat out a lot of younger guys too. So that's pretty awesome. And then qualified and went to the world championships. Awesome. All right. Um, what else, what else should we know about you uh, as far as coaching um, athletic career? Um, I guess I only competed seriously for a few more years after that. And then by that point I started to, well, I guess I, I, I got married, had a son and then, athletic endeavors took a sideline. It was no more the top priority. I couldn't train all the time. I had other priorities. So that experience as well kind of made me, it helped mold me as a coach to make me understand what it's like to be a person who has to work a full-time job. They have to have time for their family. They have to do lots of things that are unexpected and that they still want to achieve big goals. And I think that that process just helped me to understand my athletes a little bit better yeah and consequently i had to spend more time on my career which was coaching and my family so then my athletic career didn't have as much time available for me to train so then i started to take training more towards the wayside but i still love working out i still love to stay in shape and i still love to train whenever i can so you just became a mere mortal like the rest of us um, struggling, <laughs> struggling, struggling to just, uh, you know, have a good performance in a race. Yeah. Well, welcome. Welcome to the club, Ted. All right. <laughs> so 2022 was a comeback year for the both of us. Our goal, you know, was kind of find our fountain of youth into our mid forties, um, dis- or despite our mid forties, if you will. Um, and, and I know you had a goal starting out. I did not have a goal starting out but I did start training. I did start getting back, uh, you know, running and it led me to a goal down, you know, midway through the year. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about, uh, your goal starting out in the year. Um, and, and how it, you know, how that transpired. Um, for me, I just started out with low heart rate training, um, you know, doing running and, and, and it it was an experiment that uh, that uh, that I started because I had heard and read and listened to a lot of things that were out there around math training. And it was something that I didn't do in the past in, in training. Um, and it was kind of counterintuitive or it is counterintuitive. And I, I said, you know what, I should give it a try because at the end of the day, I wanted to improve my marathon time and I know I can improve my marathon time. And I feel like I probably didn't train the right way. So that's what I did. That was my experiment starting out. And I wanted to kind of see how that progressed over time through the year before I decided to commit to, um, another goal marathon race, which at first I started, I wanted to get into the New York city marathon because it's one I haven't done. I've already, I'd already done Chicago. I had done Seattle, I did not get into New York and then ultimately settled, settled on Dallas. Um, but that's, that's kind of the training that I did for the year. And we'll talk more in detail around the, the marathon training. But um, as far as you, your year went, um, you start out with, uh, I believe, trying to tackle the, the Ironman again. Yeah. Yep. Ironman Wisconsin. <clears throat> so talking about my comeback to the sport, I guess you could say it started in 2020. 
So at the time the COVID lockdowns went into place and the gyms were shut down. So when the gyms are shut down, I don't have anything to do. And lots of people were out of work as well. So the thing was, everybody had a lot more time on their hands and it was kind of like a fitness revolution. If you're, if you remember that, like everybody started going outside and riding their bikes more and running more. So what I did to still stay employed and stay in contact with my athletes was I did a lot of online virtual classes with people. So I'd get on my bike and I'd ride on Swift and I'd record it and have it on Zoom. So then this, pe- this way people could dial in and we could have conversations while we're working out and I could lead them through workouts. So as I was doing that, I was doing it like several times a day and I was doing it every single day. And I was like, okay, I'm starting to get back into better shape. I'm starting to regain the glory days. So after that, I was like, okay, when, I, when, when can I do a race? So I would plan to do a race. And every time you plan to do a race, it would always get canceled. All the way through 2020, every race was canceled. 2021, almost every single race was canceled. And I was preparing people for the Ironman Wisconsin, and that that race finally didn't get canceled. So Ironman Wisconsin 2021. So I went out there. I'm supporting the athletes, and they're all racing. And I was just having fun out there, just watching everybody and cheering everybody on, supporting them. And I was thinking... Man, I, lo- I, I love this course. I'm so familiar with this course. And I know if I got out there, I, I could do pretty good on this course. I just want to get out there and do it again. I did Ironman Wisconsin back in 2015 and 2016. So the next day I went home, I registered for Ironman Wisconsin. And starting from t- September of 2021, that, that was the beginning of my 2022 season. I do remember <clears throat> those uh, Zoom slash Zwift workouts that you did because I did uh, – join in on some of those. Those are great. Uh, I appreciate you doing that by the way, Ted. And, uh, that was an interesting time. So you got into, you got back into training for the Ironman because you, you got into such great shape, just coaching your athletes and, you know, doing that every day, you basically wanted to find out, Hey, where is your fitness level at? Right. In comparison to prior years given everything that you had already done and you had already done it. So it was like, it's like, you know, this is table stakes at this point. I'm just going to continue to ride this through and, and see how far I can push it because you felt pretty strong. You're, you were really strong on the bike at that point. Right. Yep. It, it was like two years of ba- building base, basically. That's a good amount of base building time. That's something that I think uh, is overlooked is how long, it takes to really build a strong base for these types of events. Ultimately, my goal was to say, okay, I feel pretty confident. Like the numbers are starting to approach what I was doing 10 years ago. And I I wanted to, I wanted to see, can I still do what I did when I was younger? Can I still do what I did when I had more free time to train? So that was, that was my goal in this race is to like, fight back against father time and say, all right, can I still, can I still be young while, while I do this? Can I still fight off the aging effects? And your Ironman race was, uh, if you will, a re-baseline of where you're at now compared to where you were at before with, with the goal of being as good, if not better than where you were five years ago. Yes. Right. And my, and my training for the marathon was the same way. I 
I felt like the 357, the 353, or the 359 in Seattle that I did, uh, there were, you know, some issues around Seattle because I felt like I got sick the day before. Um, Chicago, I don't feel like I was trained properly. I don't think I was trained properly for either race, to be honest with you. But I stumbled upon this math training, and I had never trained that way before. And because I had you know, plenty of time. I hadn't committed to a race. I was like, let me just experiment with this. And then ultimately I decided to do a marathon and I wanted to see where I am at, at my age now compared to where I was five, 10 years ago. Um, so I think we had a similar goal in mind in terms of just our own, uh, fitness at our age compared to the past. Right. Absolutely. We're fighting the battle against father time, trying to kick his ass. <laughs> trying to c continuously kick father time's ass. That is the, I, I think that's the goal every, that's our goal every day of our lives at this point. I think once you hit 45, the goal in life should be to wake up every day and say, I want to kick father time's ass. But you know what, Ted? That is a very tough goal, right? Yeah, I was going to say, it's not easy. <laughs> Your body says otherwise. It, it requires a mindset. It requires consistency. It requires so many things that with everything else we have in life, family, children, work, it's, it's, just, it's just hard. And uh, long story short, <clears throat> you did the Ironman. You crushed it. And... At around that time, I asked you to sign up for the Dallas Marathon and run that with me. I had set a arbitrary, if you will, time goal of 3.30 because I feel like an eight-minute mile pace for 26.2 is pretty challenging, but it's something that I can do. I don't know why. Um, I just feel like 3.30, I, should, I, I, I feel like I can do it. So I set that as a goal. And you uh, had just come off Ironman a, a, a really – strong Ironman. You had just done a 135 mile gravel race. And I'd asked you to do the marathon with me because you have not done a solo marathon before. And I wanted to know based on all of this aerobic fitness that you developed, how you were going to be able to utilize that in a marathon at a certain time goal. And I wanted to, you know, see how you were going to craft your training plan to achieve that. So you, you said yes. And off we went. You started your training. I started my training. We followed each other on Strava. And what I noticed was you were running like three times a week at most. And I'm like, Ted, I don't know how you're going to qualify for Boston because that's I think that's what you decided was your goal. I don't know how you're going to qualify go sub 320 with three times a week because I've done two marathons solo. And I knew the, the, the thrashing the legs take after after such a race. But, but I was like, you know what? Ted knows what he's doing. I'm going to trust that Ted knows what he's doing. He's, he's done 26.2 miles after, you know, a, 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 a two-mile swim and a 112-mile bike ride anyway. And he just did it in Wisconsin. And he just did it uh, without stopping. Um, and I'll let you talk about that a little bit. But I really wanted to uh, see how we were going to achieve our time goals based on our differing training methods. So Ted, you, why don't you start off with, with your approach to that? 
So <clears throat> coming off the Ironman Wisconsin, I felt like I had left a little bit on the table in terms of like what I could have done on the run. I felt like I underperformed there just a little bit. It wasn't horrible, but I think I could have gotten a little bit better time, maybe 10 minutes faster, 12 minutes, whatever. I don't know. But um, if I had been able to do that, that would have placed me higher. And then I probably would have gotten top five in my age group. That would have gotten me a ticket to Kona. So <clears throat> after the Ironman Wisconsin race, I was motivated to train my running. And, um, but I still, I still had signed up for the Belgian waffle in Traverse city. So I had that coming up in a few weeks after the Ironman race. So I had intended, I had fully intended to dedicate the next three months from Ironman Wisconsin all the way to Dallas to run, run training. But there was always sidetracks along the way. Um, after Ironman Wisconsin, I couldn't train that much because I was pretty tired and it was a tough day and I had to recover from that for a week, at least a week, maybe two weeks. And then before you know it, the Belgian waffle came right up the following week. So I went out to do the Belgian waffle. It was a great experience, wonderful, wonderful race, um, a great adventure. And I'd recommend people if they're looking to explore new avenues of training for endurance, checking out gravel endurance racing, checking out gravel racing. It's a lot of fun and uh, pushes your limits in ways that Ironman won't. But anyways, um, after I did that race, the following week, I tried to go for a mountain bike ride. And when I was riding with my friends, I noticed my knees started to hurt. I was like, uh-oh, this is not good. And I'd never felt knee pain while I was cycling. So it happened at the end of the ride. And I was like, okay, maybe it's just a uh, Maybe it's just uh, something that'll go away the next day. So I went out for a ride the next day and I just had to turn around after 10 minutes. I went went home and started icing the knees and it was I was like, okay, this is pretty bad. I can't I can't really move my knees that well and they're flaring up. So the following week I took about another easy week. So now I'm maybe a month, five weeks after the Ironman Wisconsin. Now I'm maybe two months out from the marathon race. And I'm like, okay, now, now we're getting in the crunch time. I don't know why I told Andy to sign, I'd sign up for this marathon. But you were committed. But uh, you were committed, Ted. Luckily, I recovered. My knees, my knees, my knees recovered actually. And after a week, I was fine, and I could get back to training. So, my my training strategy was to focus really on running faster and running at the paces that I had intended to run in the marathon. Because up to that point, when I did the Ironman training, it was a lot of slow stuff. Like you, <laughs> you influenced me with your talk about mock training. So I was doing a lot of low heart rate stuff throughout the season. And the drawback to that was once you, you started getting me to train for the marathon, I realized, holy cow, I'm really slow. I have no speed in my legs anymore. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't even hold the pace of – my goal was to hold 730 miles for the marathon. And just doing one mile at 730 killed me at first. So – I was at a loss, but I knew that if I had some consistency in my training and I did it week after week and I had some prog progression in my training, I'd be able to do what I know I'm capable of doing. It's just a matter of one, building up the fitness level, two, building up the mental, the mental confidence as well. So I had about two months of training left to go and my strategy was to first boost up that speed by focusing more on threshold work. So I did a lot of threshold work in my, of my three 
workouts per week. One of them was always going to be a threshold workout. And the other workout was going to be a longer run where I'm trying to build that distance. And then the other workout would be kind of like a flex workout where if I felt good, I would do something with some fast stuff. If I didn't feel good, I just get out there and run nice and easy, nice and slow. So after one month, the threshold, it was starting to get easier to hold target paces. Like I could hold 650 pace for several miles in a row. So I was starting to gain, gain that confidence that, yes, I can run fast again. And then after that, I was like, okay, now I got to dial it back just a little bit so I can do a pace that's sustainable for 26 miles. My target is 730, 737. So I needed to do more extensive intervals at that target pace to build the confidence that I could hold it for a full 26 miles. So the last, I would describe that as tempo training. And I would say I did a month of tempo training leading into the marathon. So tempo training slash marathon pace training. Would that be about right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So it's like a mid intensity, a middle intensity. Yep. An intensity to get a bad, a bad rep nowadays, but I think it's necessary to get a feel for your race pace. It's a, it's, by training at that level. Yeah, it's a pace that it's a pace that's needed in marathon running in a marathon race, but it's not a pace that you want to be doing day in and day out, right? It, it it's hard mm -hmm. enough that you yep, yeah, it's hard enough that you don't want to do it day in and day out. Um so I, I you know, look, I think I think you described that beautifully in terms of how you broke up your three workouts per week. I was very interested to see um, you know, how that translated come race day. Yeah. And you hit a good point too. Like, I think like you were saying, you don't think people should, it's hard to do marathon pace training day in and day out, but I think that's the way a lot of people train. They're like, okay, this is my goal. I'm going to do this goal every single day for the next 12 weeks or the next 16 weeks. And they just go out and try to run that pace all the time. And it doesn't work because one is tiring two, we can't do it every single day. And three, it's going to get you injured over the long haul. Yeah. And and that's and that pace intensity is really kind of where, as you said, people fall because, you know, when you even if you start out going easy, people by nature they're just like they just want to they they feel like they need to go harder just to get a good workout in, and from what I found out in my math training and my low heart rate training, it's just for me, it took probably six months, six to six to seven months before I saw a solid, consistent two minute per mile drop in my easy pace, in my math pace. And that takes a lot of patience. That takes a lot of uh, mental fortitude to just like not hold back day in and day out and not go too fast. Um, but for me, as I mentioned, it was more of an experiment. I feel like it, it did set me up for success at the end. So um, the, it wasn't until the last the two months prior to the race that I started to add in uh, some anaerobic work and some faster paces in some of my runs. And I would only do that typically once a week. Sometimes I would do two of those a week. I would do a, I would do a hill workout and then I would do uh, a workout either as part of my long run or as a separate run where uh, I threw in marathon paces and maybe threshold paces. Um, and that's what I, that's, that's how I trained. 
Yeah. And another element of my training was it had to be progressive. So I was coming off a knee injury and I had to make sure that I wouldn't re-injure myself. So one of the key things was making sure that build was slow and not panicking, trying to do too much too soon. So um, if you look at my run training stress from September, October, November, December, it's a nice steady incline upward progressing chart rather than seeing like a big spike at any point. So it was like up, down, up, down, up, down, but always progressing. The trend was always upwards. So coming into that race, I was building confidence that I had the fitness that I needed to at the right time. And so your training stress was, was building, but you did also taper. So for me, one of the things that was different about my training, other than just a, a ton more uh, low heart rate work is I knew that I had to increase my mileage um, on a week to week basis. And I looking back at all my prior training, you know, I never really went much past 30 miles a week, to be honest with you. And I started getting into the 30 miles and I was like, I need to hit low. I need to get into the 40 mile range to a certain point and get a good block of that. And so there was, there were three weeks in a row where I was really, I was like 38, 39 miles a week. And then I had a couple of down weeks where I um, recovered. I had one recovery week after that. And, I, and then just life got in the way and I didn't get, um, you know, back up as quickly. But then I was able to build in another three week block where I was at like 42 miles per week. And um, that was honestly all I had time for was to get in 42 miles a week. But but you also have to consider the fact that the miles and the time you're putting in is also, uh, it also kind of correlates to how fast you're running. So like, you know, once you start getting faster, you can put in more miles within the same amount of time, which I think is, it, you know, you, you end up getting that, that gain there. Um, but also I think time in those workouts is also important. So, you have to you have to play with that as well. So uh, I got in way more miles than I ever did before. The training was completely different in terms of the the amount of low heart rate training I did versus uh, higher paces and anaerobic work. Um, and there was always a little bit of uncertainty in terms of whether or not I could hit that three thirty time because of the amount of low pace running I was doing. I did hit those workouts where I was doing marathon pace training and threshold work, and I was able to lace together, you know, intervals of, of higher paces and, and build that confidence. Um, but the kind of the indicator workouts that, that I had, one, obviously, about midway through, I did a, I was supposed to do a half marathon race, but because of the wildfire smoke here, I, I did not do that race, and I waited until the air was better. Um, which actually happened later that day. So I did my own time trial uh, and that the pace on that half marathon, that which was about, I would say, eight weeks from race day was around an 8.13 pace. So I wasn't even at goal pace at that point in time. Um, so I knew I had a lot more work to do. So that gave me a good, um, you know, signal in terms of, where I was at and where I needed to go. And it wasn't until the next kind of uh, big workout, which 
for me was this 22 mile workout that I did four weeks from race day. I decided I was going to do that four weeks from race day, a 22 mile workout uh, where I gained the confidence that I could hit 330. And uh, I had never done 22 miles and felt that good afterwards. And I attribute that to all of the, the miles I did at low heart rate. Um, you know, because that was pre predominantly the, the, the type of uh, running that I was doing, but, but I was able to uh, do 22 miles. And as part, that workout was essentially four by three mile intervals with one mile recoveries in between. And the, the, the interval, the, the three mile intervals, were at marathon pace at eight, eight meter miles. So that was that was probably the, a big confidence builder for me at that point in time. I wanted to run the race like a week after that because of <laughs> of how I felt, and I was like, okay, I got to keep the I got to keep the mileage up, you know, and, and taper properly. And unfortunately, the three weeks after that were essentially I essentially tapered for three weeks into the race because of Thanksgiving had come up and travel and, and everything. It just kind of uh, prevented me from getting the miles I wanted. But I knew since I was already going into that taper, it would be okay as long as I got in, you know, certain runs during the week and, and, and still felt that felt that fitness. So that's how that's how my training was leading up to the marathon. Yeah, you, you hit on some interesting points, like having confidence in your pace and how do you determine what that pace is? How did you feel during that four by three long run or the run, the long run you had with the four by three intervals, did you feel like your heart rate was like right on target when you're doing those at that race pace? And he's like, this is the heart rate that I know I can sustain for this long. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do. I did feel like that heart rate was sustainable and looking back at the data there, um, it didn't go too high on those intervals. One thing that, um, I threw into that workout was I had a friend meet me halfway and pace me the the uh, the last ten miles, so I had already done a four mile warm up. I did a three mile at marathon pace recovery, another three miles at marathon pace, and as I was finishing my recovery on that sec after that second interval, uh, my friend was at the spot that I had uh, designated, and it was spot on, and he was right there and he picked up yeah. Unfortunately, he picked up right on my marathon pace interval, but he, he was there and, and we, you know, it helped that he was there. Um, I don't know if, if it would have been different without him, but I can tell you it was definitely helpful. So in the future, like if people have uh, a big 20 mile, 22 mile workout, um, you know, see if a friend can jump in in the middle of that and pace you and then kind of be there and pace you through the end, through to the end, because uh, I found that to be pretty beneficial and motivating um, to see somebody right there and, you know, get you through that workout. So that was pretty fun. Nice. I always dream of somebody riding alongside on or alongside <laughs> next to me on the bike and they're just handing me water bottles the whole time. <laughs> hasn't happened yet though. <laughs> I don't have any good friends like that. One day, maybe, maybe that'll be, well, you know, we don't, we, we'll have to think, we'll have to talk about how the race went and uh, maybe one day, depending on the race, uh, I could be that uh, water bottle guy for you. <laughs> yeah gotta be like Kipchoge exactly the water bottle guy for Kipchoge um so so you know that that was our training uh and come race day we landed in Dallas 
uh, we were looking at conditions and the conditions were shaping out to be pretty good. It was like mid fifties, although the humidity was kind of high. We did a couple of uh, shakeout runs um, the day before or the two days before uh, one run each day. And, uh, you know, we, we, we drove a bit of the course to check out the hill, the quote unquote hill. Um, although that turned out to be two hills that I'm not sure we t- fully recognized um, at around mile 21, mind you, the right around the worst time of, of the marathon for most people. Um, so what'd you, what'd you think about the race uh, as far as like, you know, the lead up to it? Um, Dallas, the, the Dallas marathon being the, the first time we, both of us have ever run that race. Yeah. So I guess the lead into it, when I first got down to Texas, I realized how warm it is compared to Chicago in the winter. So coming from the Midwest, you haven't been training in any heat at all. No humidity at that point in the year. And you go down there and you're, you're sweating and you don't have a jacket on and you're just like sweating all the time. So just getting off the plane and taking the, taking the bus and the train to the hotel, I was like, oh man, this is going to be, this is going to be a tough race because I never do well in warm environments when I'm not acclimated to that warm environment. So that was one of my main concerns going into the race is uh, thinking about how I'll be able to stay hydrated and not too much, not lose too many fluids over the course of the three to three and a half hours that I'll be out there. So, so the humidity was really the issue. The temperature I felt was pretty good. I felt like the temperature was good, but it wasn't until we did those warm up runs that I saw the humidity impact in terms of our sweat, you know? Um, Cause I, I, I also was not running in those conditions. Um, up here in Seattle, the, the temperatures were, it was a, it was a very cold, uh, November and, uh, humidity levels were high, but still, um, the, 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 the temperature kind of helped with that a little bit being cold. Um, but in Dallas with the temperature being in the fifties with 90% humidity, I mean, we were just drenched after like two miles. Yeah. And I, I'm a numbers guy. So I'm always trying to do the calculations like, okay, if it's this humid, how much time is that going to take off my goal time? Or if it's this hot, how much is it going to take off my goal time? Um, so <clears throat> at least the, on race day, the temperature was in the fifties. Like it was a little bit warmer the day before is it it probably in the sixties or something like that. And it was really pretty warm. And, uh, <clears throat> I was like, if it's going to be this warm, we'll definitely not, we, we will definitely be challenged for hitting our goals. You're right. It was warmer the days before race day. Uh, I, I'm, I stand corrected. I was, I'm just thinking about the race day temp. You're right. It was like in the sixties and it dropped down to the fifties come race day. And so we were talking the day before you were actually worried about, uh, how much hydration you need to take in given that humidity, right? Mm-hmm. And neither of us, so I contemplating wearing a bottle, uh, similar to what I did in my 22 mile run, you were like, I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to go with the, the, you know, the pit stop, uh, nutrition that they give us. And, uh, I ended up doing the same thing. So do you feel like you got enough, uh, hydration on, during the race? I think you could always do better. You could always do better with nutrition, but I think when you look at the paces, when I break down my race and I look at the paces, I think I did about as well as I could. Um, 
and I would say like the last few miles, like examining the last few miles of your race tells how, how good was your nutrition throughout the race? How good was your hydration? So it wasn't perfect after that hill at mile 20, my pace dec decreased maybe five to eight seconds per mile off of what I was doing previously. Like I was just on, on target every single time okay. with every mile up to mile 20. And then after, after that climb, we lost a couple minutes just going uphill for that mile or, mile or two stretch. So that set us back a little bit. And the good thing was it was slightly downhill from mile 21 all the way to the finish line. So we had gravity helping us, but despite that gravity helping us, I still lost maybe five to eight seconds per mile mm. on the, in that finishing stretch. But so I would say the, the, uh, nutrition was pretty good. Cause I would say that's not a huge loss, but it was still a loss nevertheless. So I would say maybe taking in some more carbs, a little bit more hydration might've helped. Yeah. I took seven goos and as much as I could, as I went through those, uh, aid stations, but definitely not as much hydration as I feel like I should have. Same, 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 you know, the, the, uh, the hill, the two hills at mile 21 definitely slowed me down to approximately a minute and a half. And it was all downhill from there. I, I went as hard as I could after that, that hill. Um, actually the mile after I tried to maintain that eight minute pace. And then with three miles left, I just let it all, uh, let it all go. And, and I was able to get actually a little bit faster. I was sub eight. Um, but, but, just barely right around the 752 mark the last three miles and uh and i feel like i couldn't go any faster than that and and had i had i gone faster than that i would have probably broke 330 so end result was i hit my 330 goal it was a 330 55 uh mind you um but uh it was a 330 on the books and um i was pretty happy with that and i feel like the training paid off and the, the, the training was done properly and if i wanted to go any faster i would have uh definitely had to make some adjustments in my in my training yeah and you had a great day out there i think you got everything you could have out of that race and when you look back at it you really have to celebrate your accomplishments to improve by one minute per mile that's that's an incredible incredible improvement from one race to the next. But when I looked at your, like I was taking a look at your Strava, I was stalking you a little bit and I was looking at your Strava from the Chicago race and I was looking at your Strava for the Dallas race and they're completely different, completely different races. Uh, the, the key thing that I noticed is the fade, the fade in the second half, like as you were running your miles at some point, I don't know if it was the weather, the nutrition, or just the lack of fitness and lack of training, but then you started giving up seconds per mile. And then it just got worse and worse as you got to the end of that Chicago marathon. But then looking at your Dallas marathon, it was just steady. It was like clockwork and you just kept on, you just kept on it. Like there was some, there was a few slow miles, but that was because of the hill and you just finished strong all the way. So in terms of pacing, in terms of, um, race execution, you did it on that day. That was a great race. Thanks Ted. I, I, uh, I attribute it to my training and, um, you know, the nutrition could have been a little bit better with the hydration, but beyond that, like you said, I think I got everything I could out of that day. I definitely did not hold back at the end, you know, 
uh, things started getting dark at the end because I was just struggling to, to hold on as fast, you know, putting out everything I could at the end. Um, and I, and I attribute it to my training, the amount of miles I did, the, the type of workouts I did, it was definitely different than what I did 10 years ago when I was running Chicago. That's for sure. In like fashion, your race was, uh, well executed as well. I feel like, uh, you know, the, the fact that your, your first marathon, uh, and you qualifying for Boston in that first marathon and the way that you executed that, that was very impressive given the amount of running you did, um, the two months leading up to that, you know, based on what you had explained in terms of your training. And, uh, I, I don't know if you were confident going in that you were going to meet that time or not, but, uh, I think that's, that's awesome that you were able to qualify for Boston in that first marathon. Good job. Yeah. And I would say I did, I was quite confident of what I could do on that day. And it was basically feedback from what I did in the training leading up to it. Like my, my workouts confirmed what I would be able to do on race day. And I think that was the benefit of having a very specific purpose to all my workouts as I led into that race. Yeah, it sounds like you had the aerobic base. You knew you had the aerobic base and you just sprinkled in the just amount enough of the speed work and the threshold work there um, in your workouts uh, for you to get that uh, confidence and, you know, that that feedback from your body to know that you are going to be able to to hit that time. And what was that final time, by the way? Uh, Three seventeen. Three minutes below. Uh, the 320 mark, which is good because I think these days you have to get a little, you have to be on the faster side to qualify given the number of people that are qualified. Is that right? Yes. Like uh, there was a year where people had the time, they had the time standard, but they didn't qualify. I believe last year, everybody who had the time standard was able to qualify and register for the race. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it all depends on numbers at that point in terms of how many people are uh, qualifying and, and what those times are. So hopefully we'll see uh we'll see what happens when you apply for the marathon whenever that i think it's in september right for the 2024 mm -hmm. awesome yeah so like assessing both of our races from my coaching perspective i would say there were a few keys to race race execution and achieving your goals so if you don't mind you could either agree or disagree with me but i'm just gonna list off four quick points sure some of my good. points were, uh, number one, you had to have realistic expectations of your target pace. Would you agree with that one? I, agree. I, I would agree with that. You have to have realistic expectations. That requires you knowing where you are fitness-wise and where you think you can get to at the time of the race. So I agree. Realistic expectations, for sure. Yeah, and I think that's a problem for a lot of athletes is they go out there and they just pick an arbitrary number. Like they'll say, okay, I want to go under 330. I want to go 315, or usually it's like a flat number. Like I want to go sub three. I want to go sub four, whatever that number may be. And they might not even have the fitness for that, but they're just trying to target some arbitrary number that their fitness doesn't reflect that, that, that they're capable of. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's interesting for, I guess it's all depends on whether or not it's their first marathon or it's uh, you know, however many down the road, but obviously that first marathon would be a good baseline. And I don't know, I don't recall the thinking back then on how I picked, I think my goal was basically to go sub four, but that was it. 
and I didn't have a time. I was just like, get under, get under four. And I knew that to do that, you had to have a, at least a nine minute mile pace roughly. And, and that was it. But what we should have done was taking a look at the half marathon race we did in April of that year and use that as a data point and then performed a workout to assess our fitness level that summer uh, before we started training for the marathon so that we could set an appropriate goal, uh, goal time. So lessons learned. So my second key bullet point is having your target time confirmed through your training is one of the keys. So by that, I mean, we had some key workouts that we did that simulated the demands of the race and challenged us in the capacity of our endurance. And we were able to build confidence from success in those key workouts. I would agree with that. I definitely had my key workout. Now is that 22 mile uh, run workout. And it definitely confirmed the uh, my fitness and my ability to achieve that goal. And it definitely built that confidence and I was ready to go. In fact, I was, I was nervous, you know, with the three weeks left, how I was going to maintain that, um, while I tapered. So agreed. Yeah. So my point number three is I think accumulating sufficient training load to sustain the target time for the duration of the event. So to give that a little background, I think a lot of times people don't put enough time in preparing for that event over several months. They just give it a few months. Um, and like we said, my, my, like when you, when you examine my race, it looks like I just put a few minutes, a few months into this, right? But it wasn't a few months. It was years of training. Like if you look back to my Ironman training throughout the summer, uh, leading up to Ironman Wisconsin, three months before it, I was probably doing anywhere from 10 to 15 hour weeks at many points throughout the summer. So there's a big aerobic base leading into that specific marathon training. Absolutely. And I was running, I started running at the beginning of the year to, to build my aerobic base and uh, a lot of low heart rate training, a lot of miles. And this year, in fact, I, or 2022, I accumulated the most miles I ever have in one year. So that's another data point that can, that uh, supports that the fact that the, the training load, the volume needs to be there. Yeah. And my fourth point to, in keys to success is fueling the effort appropriately, taking into account environmental factors. So I think we, we, we figured we didn't fuel perfectly, but we f probably fueled better than a lot of other people out there. So we could sustain our effort and we could stay strong to the end. Absolutely. And that included Absolutely. taking the carbohydrates, drinking enough and making some adjustments for the humidity out there. Definitely. I would agree to that. So Ted, what's next for you? What, what, what are your goals this year? Do you have races lined up or are you thinking about some? I've got a couple, but let's, let's go, let's find out from you on your side, what you've got coming up for 2024. We know you already qualified for Boston for 20. I'm sorry. What do you have coming up for 2023? We know you already have Boston 2024 coming up assuming, you know, that you, you get in through, uh, your time. Um, and, and there aren't like a whole bunch of other people that have, you know, faster 317 times in your age group. What do you have any thoughts on, uh, 2023, um, plans? Yeah, well, I don't have any concrete plans, but I would say 2022 kind of got the excitement back of racing. So 
my goal for 2023 is just to have fun with it and explore new events. So to give an example, this past weekend, I did a track and field meet sponsored by Tracksmith and I ran the mile. So I just went to the, went to a local track that they just built. It's a really nice track and I ran a mile race and that was it. Just one mile. Um, this, this coming weekend, I'm doing a, a trail run, not a big deal, but I'm just doing a trail run just, just for fun. And, um, I'm exploring other events that aren't in the traditional swim, bike, run realm. So I found out about this event called high rocks, and it seems like something that combines both running and it combines functional training and kind of like CrossFit style fitness. So it's something that I think I could do well in. So I want to enter that and give that a shot and then going further into the year heading into the summer, I don't really have any concrete plans. I was committed. I'm committing myself to teaming up with one of the athletes I coach. He's uh, going blind and he's, he needs a partner for a guide for his races. So I'm going to race with him at a few races in the Chicagoland area. Our goal is to get to nationals and um, hopefully that we can make that happen. That's interesting, Ted. I believe you did that last year as well. I didn't know you were going to do that again this year, but I think that's a topic for a future episode, diving into exactly what it takes to do that. Um, kudos to you, buddy. In any case, I'm going to do Eugene in April, end of April, and then I've got Chicago in October. I plan to hopefully qualify for Boston at Eugene and then see how far I can take it in Chicago. But uh, I'm hoping I can get to the 2024 Boston marathon and join you at, at that race. I think 2022 was a great comeback year for the two of us, and we've got plans for 2023. Um, pretty big goals. Uh, me trying to drop another 10 plus minutes off my marathon. You've got some interesting events uh, lined up. And uh, you also have to keep in mind, you've got Boston in 2024. So you got to keep that fitness going. Yeah. And I think, I think I do want to do some epic endurance events, but I haven't chosen them yet. So I was thinking maybe trying to sign up for the New York marathon in, uh, when, when the registration opens, try and do that and possibly another gravel race. I had a lot of fun at the Belgian waffle gravel race in Traverse city. So maybe check out another one in uh, Asheville or there's one in Mexico. Maybe check that out. Well, sounds like you have some decisions to make there, Ted. And hopefully we'll find out what those races will be in our next episode. Speaking of our next episode, we hope you'll join us as Ted and I dive into endurance training gadgetry and technology and whether they are really necessary or if some are just built around good marketing, what works, what doesn't, let's find out. Until then, get out there and get after it. You know, in, in order to achieve big goals, you have to put in the work. It's beyond talent at that point. You could come with a level of talent, but it's only going to get you so far if you don't